If you've actually been with our church over the last few weeks, we've been meeting in our ministry center on 31st and Park, and we've been, actually been in a sermon series on the kingdom of God, this idea that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that Jesus is the rightful king, and because he's king then, we orient our lives around Jesus and not kind of the other uh, media, the governments and world powers and influencers on social media. We don't gather or center our lives around any of those folks, but instead Jesus is the king of this kingdom that he has come to really for here as well as in the future for us to live into. And so over the next few weeks, we're actually gonna be starting a series on this, this uh, idea of on mission. And today I thought this passage was a, a beautiful one that actually ties these things together because we have this narrative. Now for some of you, maybe you're new and maybe you're someone who's not a Christian, maybe you're not even religious, but somehow you read this story and you were a little bit wigged out because it's got a lot of intense stuff in here. There's this man who's possessed by this impure spirit and he's someone who lives out in the tombs and he cuts himself and he howls day and night. And there's this encounter with the risen Jesus though. And here's what I'd like to point out. I'm, I'm gonna point out in this story as we move through these three different sections, you're gonna see three different times where the word is called parakaleo. Can I hear you say parakaleo? Parakaleo is this word for begging or pleading. Now here's what I want you to notice. There's actually this move where three different times people are begging or pleading with Jesus. And we're gonna see how Jesus responds to this. Now a friend of mine named Dan once gave a sermon on this that I was so captivated by. As he talks about the movements of this begging that happens. And here you're gonna see, how does the kingdom of God tie into what, what this idea is to be on mission. So, but we set the scene though, right? Because at the top of the passage, what does it talk about? It's basically talking about uh, this um, person who's deeply troubled. Jesus goes to the region of the Gerasenes. He gets out of the boat, and immediately there's a man with an impure spirit who comes from the tombs to meet him. Now, later on, we would hear this story of this man. He's coming from the tombs, which is generally known as like this unclean area. Why is he in the tombs? It's because he's this outcast from society. In fact, the text actually reveals to us that no one could subdue him, which demonstrates basically this man was probably in any kind of spectrum. I know in today's world, maybe some of you might be thinking, well, we're sophisticated New Yorkers. We don't believe in some of this demon stuff and impure stuff. Well, if you can imagine, because even in today's medical world, there's this moment, right, where there are some things that are simply mystery. There's no medical explanation for it. There's no scientific explanation. In fact, perhaps you yourself have come to a place sometime where maybe you've encountered uh, some sort of evil or some sort of difficult presence that you were just saying, this is not normal. In fact, it might even feel abnormal. Well, back then, if you can imagine, the idea of an impure spirit, that's what it basically is, the mysteries of this evil that's outside of ourselves that can actually invade our lives. Now, again, some of you might be like, well, I don't believe in the immaterial existence of this supernatural evil. Well, most of the world does. But not only does most of the world believe in this idea of the supernatural kind of evil, but if you can imagine, because at, at, here at Hope Midtown, we also believe in chemical imbalances, in medicine, and in science. But there are those moments where even in the immaterial world, there's experiences that we have of evil. Like if I were to even say the history and legacy of systemic injustice and racism, particularly against black and brown people in this nation. I mean, wouldn't you say as, as far advanced as we've come as a society, 
there's still some sort of penetrating, deeper, immaterial evil that exists. Well, here's what Christians believe, that there is this supernatural realm where when this evil exists, this evil exists in such a manner that it's supernatural. It's even beyond the natural world. And so this man, he's been so troubled. You, can, you know that people have tried to subdue him because it says that no one could subdue him. In fact, groups of people could not subdue him. They tried chaining him. In fact, it, it suggests that he probably tried chaining himself, but he was so strong and overcome by this power beyond himself that he would even break the chains. He was so deeply troubled, he would cut himself with stones. I mean, can you imagine? Here's a man who's so troubled Everyone in the town knows it because they've tried to subdue him. He himself knows it because otherwise, why would he cut himself? Why would he howl into the night? He's so deeply troubled, overtaken by a power even beyond himself. And yet, here's someone who even that society in that region could not basically control this man Immediately upon meeting Jesus, he comes and he runs and he falls at the feet of Jesus. I mean, this is extraordinary. Can you imagine how, what the disciples must have felt or the people that were around and saw Jesus interacting with this man? Like, hold on, Jesus, like, watch out, watch out for this guy. And yet Jesus is there and this man comes and he, he bows at the feet of Jesus. This shows you the kind of supernatural power and presence that Jesus has. Now check out this exchange that happens between this man and Jesus. Look at what it says. Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. Now back then in the Roman army, a legion was maybe 6,000 soldiers. So it gives you a sense of how deeply troubled this man is. 6,000 demons that, that has inhabited this man, for we are many. And he begged Jesus, there's that word, parakaleo. He begs Jesus, this man who's so powerful that no one could subdue him, that the police could not subdue him, that the townspeople could not subdue him, that chains itself could not subdue him, this man who is overtaken by this legion of demons comes and all of a sudden he's at the mercy of Jesus. He falls to his knees and he begs Jesus. He pleads with him over and over again not to send them out of the area. And then it says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus. Again, there's that word again. They're begging him and they're pleading with him. Jesus, please send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. So these demons begged Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, go ahead. Go into the pigs. And what happens? And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number. Just again, to give you a sense of how overwhelming the supernatural forces that were inhabiting this man, 2,000 pigs go, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Now this is extraordinary. Now, I know that some of you are just like, I didn't know this story was in the, in the scriptures. What's going on here? There's this man who's been deeply troubled and possessed by a legion of demons, comes, and all of a sudden, when Jesus gets on the shore, this man who's been deeply troubled, who cuts himself, who howls in the night, comes and he begs Jesus, he's pleading, he's paraclyped, please don't send us out of this area. Please send us into these pigs. 
And what's amazing is Jesus, I mean, he's so powerful. He, he shows that he has dominion not only over the natural world, but also over the supernatural world, that these demons are relegated to begging him. And what ends up happening? Jesus says, okay, I'll grant you your begging. And he says, yes. And what ends up happening? The demons end up going into the pigs, and the pigs, 2,000 of them, run off and drown in the lake. Now, here's what I want to see first in this first movement of begging, and it's this. It's basically that Jesus has authority over all things. Again, this man was someone who had been haunted, someone who was cutting himself, someone who uh, even the people, the police, chains, being in the tombs, nothing could change his circumstance. The best doctors, the best healers, the community itself, the strongest people, no one in their right mind could actually, or in their power, could actually heal this person. And yet Jesus, who's full of incredible authority, shows that all power and authority belongs to him. So much so that Jesus can just be walking along and a legion of demons will bow at his feet and beg Jesus and beg him, please, Jesus, please don't let us go out of this area. So the first thing we see is that Jesus, who is the rightful king, and this is why we worship this Jesus. Now, some of you might be saying, oh, well, these gospel writers, they probably kind of uh, uh, like... um, elaborated or basically made up these stories about Jesus. Well, even the the historian Josephus, who's not a Christian, would write about Jesus being this miracle worker and about how Jesus demonstrated things that were supernatural. And this is one of those instances where Jesus shows that he has all power and authority. And here's the amazing thing. When the demons beg him and they say, please, Jesus, do not send us out of here, what does Jesus do? He has so much power and authority, he's like... I'll grant you your wish. And so the demons end up going into the pigs, and then they end up drowning into the lake. Jesus has all power and authority, but there's a second group of people that beg as well. Check out what it says in the text. It says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man. Now, this is, they're talking about the village people. So you can imagine the news of what's happened. 2,000 pigs went into the lake. When they came to... To Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there and dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because, of course, they knew the reputation of this man. Everyone knew there was that crazy guy who lived in the tombs, who was overtaken by something, who would howl in the night. Of course, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Now look at what the text says. Then the people began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Wait, 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 what's going on? And it's the same word. It's parakaleo. Wait, 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 wait. Why are the people begging Jesus to leave? Because, I mean, I, I told you the story, the background on this guy. He was so deeply troubled Everyone knew it. Everyone knew his story. That's why they were afraid when they saw the guy. They saw his tattered clothing. They saw the cuts all over his body. 
Maybe they knew the smell of this man who lived among the tombs, who was constantly apart from people, and yet he was in his right mind. I mean, can you imagine? These people are really afraid. Like, what in the world happened to this guy? And as stories begin to, to, to start to, to spread, it's, oh, Jesus, all of a sudden, he bowed at Jesus, and he begged Jesus, to a legion of demons, to go out. And then this, the thing happened with the pigs, and the pigs ran off and into the water, and then they drowned. Now, if I were a townspeople, I'd be like, hey, Jesus, can you talk to my mother-in-law? Like, <laughs> can you? Like, there's some people I would love for you to just kind of like, you know, just, I would love for you to, you know, there's that person who every Thanksgiving, they're talking this craziness, or, you know, there's these people. Can you, Jesus, can you actually go and heal people? I mean, isn't that a great thing? No, not only a great thing, isn't that a wonderful thing? And the question is this, why in the world would these townspeople be begging or parakaleo Jesus to leave? I'd be begging Jesus to stay. I'd be like, Jesus, can you just stay here forever? We need miracle workers like you. But why do they ask him to leave? Well, the clue is found when it says, when they began to ask about the man, but then it says they ask about the pigs as well. You see, this area of the Gerasenes was a Gentile region, and in this Gentile region, the reason why there's so many pigs is because the pigs were signs of one's livelihood, of wealth, of richness. So in other words, what Jesus basically did to save this man was send these demons into their cash cow or cash pigs. It was basically the economy. It was basically a sign of wealth and what these people had. That's why they're asking the questions. Wait, 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 what happened to this man? That man? Oh, okay, that man over there, he was crazy. I'm a little bit afraid. But what happened to the pigs? Like, oh, actually, the pigs like this, this... Legion just entered into the pigs and they ran off and then they went into the water and they drowned. And it's immediately upon discovering this. It's immediately upon discovering this that the people are so threatened by Jesus, they actually beg Jesus to leave. Listen, Jesus, I don't know who you are. You're clearly some sort of miracle worker but can you please leave? Because honestly, what you just did ended up hurting our bottom line. So can we just beg you to leave? You know what's fascinating? Because the demons, remember the demons parakaleo Jesus to, to like, Jesus, please, please, like, don't send us out of here. And Jesus says, yes. Then the the townspeople, they beg Jesus, Jesus, can you please leave? Please, just leave our region completely. We don't want you here. And you know what Jesus says? He says, yes. And he begins to leave. Now, isn't that extraordinary? Because here's Jesus, all the power, both natural and supernatural, 
to do whatever he wants, and the people begin to beg him to leave. I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, what? Did you guys not see what I just did? Do you not see what I can do for you? Do you not see the authority and the power that I have? And yet what Jesus does when the people beg him to leave, he says, yes, he leaves. You see, not only does this text show us that Jesus is one with power and authority, but it also shows us that Jesus will not work where he is not invited. God is not some malevolent God who's somehow trying to force his way into your life and into mine. He's not saying, believe me, follow me, give your life to me, and do it now. You know, he, he no, but if, if we don't want Jesus in our lives, if we don't want him to work in our lives, he'll actually say yes. I'll leave. Now, on one hand, I, I, again, for me, I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? You should try convincing them how wonderful you are. Or you should just get them in a headlock. Anything that somehow would spur them towards trusting you or believing in you. And yet, when these people beg Jesus, they plead with him to stay, or to, to leave, rather. And Jesus actually says, yes, I'll leave. Now, on one hand, here's what I would like to point out about this. While Jesus will not work where he's not invited, there's something incredibly honoring about the fact that for you and I, if we don't want Jesus to work in our lives, he won't. If we, if we beg to get him out of here, he won't. Now, there's something extraordinarily honoring of you and I and the kind of relationship that we can have with God. While God is always still God and he can do whatever he wants, the reality is we can actually beg him to not be part of our lives and we can do everything we want. Now, on one hand, again, uh, for us, we'd be like, oh, we, I would never do that. But the reality is oftentimes we do. We don't let God work in the areas the deep excavation of our souls, the hard parts of our lives that he wants to work in. And in fact, we'd rather Jesus leaves. Now, there's something extraordinary about the fact that Jesus will not force himself if he's not welcome. Jesus, there's something honoring about the fact that we can basically say to God, God, we want to beg you to stay. But we can also beg him to leave, and yet Jesus will leave. He won't work where he's not invited. And for each one of us as human beings who bear his image then, we actually have this opportunity then whether to say, Jesus, I beg you to stay or Jesus, I beg you to leave. What's so crazy is that this Jesus who has all power and authority, when the people beg him to leave, he leaves. They're not the final group that begs Jesus, though. Look at what happens in the story. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed 
begged to go with him. It's that same word, parakaleo. This man who's just been delivered in an extraordinary way. I mean, can you imagine how excited he was? Like he, he notices that he's in his right mind. He sees his scars. He starts to smell his own stench. He sees his tattered clothing. He's all of a sudden, he's in his right mind. He's done the calculus of what's going on around him. And he sees what's happening even in this moment. And he begs Jesus, Jesus, please let me go with you. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus did not let him. But said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now this is extraordinary. Because again, the first group of people, like the first, the demons, they beg Jesus, Jesus, please go, like send us over there. And Jesus says, yes. Then the townspeople, the townspeople beg Jesus, Jesus, please leave this area. And Jesus says, yes. Then the demon possessed man, he comes and says, Jesus, please let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. Now this is incredibly frustrating. Because it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? You say yes to the demons. You say yes to the townspeople. And you say no to this guy. I mean, I have this image of this man. This image of this man, right? He's coming to his senses. He's in his right mind. And he comes to Jesus and he begs Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, please let me go with you. Please. You saw how deeply troubled I was. Please let me go with you. Not only that, Jesus, you saw how the people, they're begging you to leave. What they were basically saying is that these people value the life of these pigs more than me. Please, let me go with you. I can't stay here. These people have wronged me and hurt me so deeply. They value these pigs more than me. Please, Jesus, please let me go with you. Can you see the anguish? Can you see the brokenness? Can you see the longing? Jesus, please. I don't want to stay here. Not where people value the life of these pigs more than they value my life. Please, let me just go with you. Because you're the only one who's, who's shown me safety and love and kindness and deliverance. Please, 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 Jesus. Let me go with you. And yet, Jesus says no. 
He says yes to the demons. He says yes to the townspeople. He says no to this man. You know, this is one of the most frustrating realities of following Jesus. It's so frustrating. I mean, don't you get this? Do you see how frustrating this is? It's like this guy, I mean, he's not asking for anything crazy. In fact, he's asking to be with Jesus. He's like, Jesus, please. And Jesus says, no. And this is one of the most maddening truths of the Christian faith, is that what Jesus does is he heals us and he delivers us. He changes us. But then what he does is he sends us. He sends us to be his hands and feet even when we don't want to. He says, no, I want you to stay. I want you to stay even in the town where you've experienced such deep hurt and pain. I want you to stay. And I want you to tell them how much I love you and how far reaching my love and my power lie. I want you to stay. And it's gonna hurt like hell sometimes. But I want you to stay so that you might be someone who embodies my love to the people around you. But Jesus, you saw these people, you saw how they begged you to leave because they valued these pigs more than me. And Jesus is like, I know, I know. And still I want you to stay. You know, people often tell me uh, when they, you know, find out that I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, you're probably just a pastor because you grew up as a pastor or you grew up in a, as a Christian home. I didn't grow up as a pastor. Uh, five-year-old Pastor Drew. Uh, no, it, you know, they, they say, oh, you just, you grew up, uh, what a lot of people don't know is that we did grow up in an immigrant church, and a lot of the Korean immigrants that we grew up with in Los Angeles, we all grew up attending church because that was the one social connection point. So even if people weren't Christians or not, a lot of Koreans ended up going to church, and so that was our family. We went to this humongous church in Los Angeles that was an immigrant church, largely Korean, and uh, that church, uh, up until the age of... 12, since I was there, split, had these really awful church splits, maybe like four to five church splits, like really bad church splits where there would be like fighting and conflict. And uh, I remember one time, I remember attending church and the LAPD were there to break up some of the fighting that was happening. There was helicopters flying overhead. I mean, that's how bad it was. And um, so when people say, like, oh, you're just a, you're just a Christian because you grew up going to church, I'm like, no, you don't understand what church was like for me. It was like one of the most painful, awkward things. And so there were so many people of my friends and contemporaries who ended up um, today, to this day, they would never go back to a church because they're like, why would I go back to that, you know? 
Moreover, if you were to know anything about my own personal story, my father, who is uh, an immigrant, worked in air conditioning and refrigeration, worked tirelessly, uh, but had a really violent temper and would take it out on my mom as well as uh, his children. And there was four of us boys. So my dad was this incredibly violent man. And when we were in middle school, he actually ended up uh, disappearing for a while, or that's what it seemed. We didn't see him very often. Turns out he was actually going to seminary, seminary, which is like a graduate school to study theology and learn how to become a pastor. So if you can imagine that my father, he's this man who's incredibly violent at home. And then when we basically kind of, he graduates from seminary, he's like, Still the same guy, still massively violent at home. Still the same guy, but he's now a pastor. And now people kind of surround him as this pastor guy, and they venerate him as being this pastor person. My father would end up going on to write a number of books, and the books would become bestsellers. So now all of a sudden, he's not only just a pastor, but he's like this really well-known pastor in Korean circles. And so my father all of a sudden is venerated, Wherever there are Korean Christians, they've probably come across his book because he's this very well-known person, and yet, at home, he was a terror to my mom and to us. And so, you know, people say, like, oh, you're just a Christian because you grew up with that. I'm like, no, do you understand every part of me, every part of me wanted to run away? You know, and yet there was this undeniable reality of who Jesus was. He met me in a significant way. He meets me in this significant way. This undeniable reality of who he is. And then there's these passages, right? Like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's like passages like, honor your father and your mother. There's passages that say, just be kind. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that, but there's probably, you know, like, I mean, that's one of the things, right, that's like, it's inherent in the whole love your enemies thing. Just be a kind person. And honestly, there's a big part of me that just would rather not. I don't want to try to work things out with my dad. Part of me just wants to run from the church itself. Isn't it it so awful, right? Like, over the past year and a half, there's been this reckoning on racial injustice. I can imagine for our black and brown brothers and sisters, like there's, it's like, Jesus says, no, I want you to be a person who now enters into the world again where you've been so hurt to be a person of peace and love and justice and forgiveness and kindness and truth. Like, it's like, What? Jesus, please, can I just go with you? Please. There's less drama with you. Less pain with you. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus, I just beg you. Can I just, can I just please come with you? Just, I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to show kindness to the people who have hurt me. 
I don't want to be generous when all the people in my life have been so ungenerous towards me. What's so maddening is when Jesus says, no. I want you to stay. And I want you to tell anyone and everyone who I am and what I have done for you. I want others to know that how deeply troubled or pain-filled or difficult their life has been, that deliverance is on the other side, that here I am ready and available to set people free. And I want you, I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to be the one that is sent to be my hands and feet to tell it from wherever you can that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life.